Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I want to make sure that that I understand what is actually happening in the neighborhoods because in order for us to have the right solutions, I, I need to just you know take a moment and just listen and understand. I've been gone 12 years uh, and I want to make sure that that again, that, we're, that we not only invest, but we also make the right investments. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is a local boy made good, a son of Chicago, as Mayor Lori Lightfoot put it, who has come home to run the school system that produced him. Pedro Martinez, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. Welcome. Thank you, Fran. Thank you for having me. I love to small talk with you about your first few days on the job, but you're only having limited time. So let's get right to it. Days before you started your new job, sir, two students from Simeon High School were gunned down on the very same day. This at a school that has seen more than its share of tragedy over the years. Have you been there to comfort and reassure that student body? And if not, do you plan to go and what do you plan to say? I am planning to attend uh, Simeon, and, and what I am going to share with the student body is that, first of all, I think we all have to understand, first of all, just take some, just a time to just, um, you know, just to really reflect just the tragedy that's happening right now in our city with violence. And for me, uh, you know, I actually uh, actually had to call another family this week for another death of a 14-year-old, and I'll tell you, Fran, um, it is something that I think we need to address as a community. We need to have these conversations. What is happening in our neighborhoods that's creating this violence? What, what are some ways that we can work together? Because our children need to feel safe. It, it's bad enough that we're in a global pandemic, but then when you add and compound what's happening with uh, just, you know, with violence across our different communities, we need to work together to figure out how do we make things better. Your former boss, Arnie Duncan, used to call this the worst possible role that he had as CPS CEO, the calling of the families of people whose children were gunned down on the streets of Chicago. This CPS has seen more than a share of this. What can you do to change that? Well, I think one of the advantages right now is our relationship with the city. And so to be able to leverage uh, not only the resources that we have in the district, but to leverage resources across city departments, including our police department, our Department of, uh, of uh, Health and Human Services. I think it's important that we leverage every resource possible. And and for me, Fran, I, I want to understand it. I mean, I, I want to make sure that, that I understand what is actually happening in the neighborhoods, because in order for us to have the right solutions, I, I need to just you know take a moment and just listen and understand. I've been gone 12 years. 
Uh, and I want to make sure that, that again, that, we're, that we not only invest, but we also make the right investments. CVS enrollment is dropping again this year. It's plummeted over the last decade. There are at least 150 more thousand more seats than students. How many students have you lost since last year? And how do you stop the bleeding? So we are. We did see the enrollment decline again this uh, this year, Fran, and we are going to be releasing numbers very soon. Uh, and for me, you know, over the over the pandemic, By how much, sadly, sir? How much? We're still getting the final estimates, friend, but I promise you, we will get you those numbers. You, you have a rough uh, idea. Uh, you know, right now, you know, you saw initial numbers around three hundred twenty-seven thousand. It's going to be a little bit higher than that, but it's still a decline from last year, uh, from the three hundred forty thousand we had last year. And of course, uh, you know, the, the year before before COVID, we we're at three fifty-five. So, you know, it gives you a sense of, of how significant uh, the loss of students are. And I do think, friend, what we have to look at. First of all, understanding what how what kind of position that puts our district in of having very you know very underutilized buildings. My concern specifically for some of our smaller schools is the quality of the programming that's available to those children. And so these are some conversations that I want to have with the community. I want to make sure we go neighborhood by neighborhood and understand what is happening. And and frankly, you know, one of the things you're going to see when when we reach enrollment is. Uh, we saw enrollment declines across our largest groups. So it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just, uh, you know, one group of students. We saw it across, you know, multiple groups of students. So it's something that I want to understand. I want to understand that how COVID has impacted us. So again, we're going to release a lot of information. I promise you, give us a little bit of time. We're finalizing those numbers now. But what do you do about schools on the south and west sides that have 70, 80, 90 percent empty seats? Those schools well, don't get the kind of programming. Of course they don't. They don't get the resources that they need to give students a good education. And I think, friend, that's the conversation that I want to have. And I want to have with those parents in the community. Here's the good news about our district. We have amazing, amazing schools across our city. And so for us, we know that we know how to provide high quality programs to our children, but not everybody's having access and so I want to have those conversations with our families. I want to make sure we, we really look at and have a frank conversation how sustainable these schools are. But one of the things that's important to me, friend, every neighborhood should have a minimum number of high-quality schools. And so I want to, you know, that's, that's the way I'm going to approach this work. I'm going to go neighborhood by neighborhood because, you know, we shouldn't have neighbors with no quality, high-quality schools. Every neighbor should have at least a minimum number and so that, that's the conversation I want to have with the community. I want to show them the data. And then let's talk about what long-term solutions we can have. And the other thing I would say, Fran, is once we make these decisions, we have to commit to state-of-the-art facilities and every one of the schools that we say that are going to be sustainable for the future. So again, I want to have this conversation with the community. I know the problem is complex. I just ask giving a little bit of time because I'm going to gather a lot of information. But I'm, I'm going to make sure the community parents are at the table. Mayor Rahm Emanuel famously closed 50 schools at one time in 2012 and 2013. Aren't there schools, empty schools that need to be consolidated? And can't you sell those parents on the fact that their kids are not getting the education and the resources they need right now? And that if there is consolidation, they will get a better education for their kids. So, so, Fran, you know, where you're going, that's exactly the conversation we need to have, right? Let's, let, I want to be realistic 
the fact that there's not enough money. There will never be enough money to sustain all of these underutilized buildings. And, and the consequence is that our children don't have the academic programming. They don't have quality facilities. Frankly, the learning spaces for me, I don't think, you know, I, I, I feel that they're not even appropriate uh, for what, you know, what our children need. And so I think this is the frank conversation we've got to have, but I think it has to be grounded on how do we make sure we still have a minimum number of high quality schools in each neighborhood so that it, it doesn't come across as we're going to just take away all the schools of a neighborhood. I, I don't think that's the right approach either. And I think we do have enough children to be able to do that. Now, the specifics, Fran, give me a little time. I promise you, this is this is what I'm going to be working on. Right now, I have to deal with COVID, but I really want to move to this next big issue. And for me, it's about equity and it's about programming, quality programming for our kids. And this is the elephant in the room. This has got to be confronted, right? It's yes. a drain. That's exactly right. We cannot ignore it, friend. And not only that, friend, here's what I would say. We have to look at enrollment for the next five years. We can't just make decisions on what's happening today. Right now, I can see where kindergartners, you know, what the kindergarten cohort is going to be. And so those are the things that this, when I share with you that we're going to share a lot of information with you, those are the details I want to bring that we need to start thinking five years out because the reality is as we make these decisions, they don't happen all you know, tomorrow. We have to think long term. Nearly the entire upper echelon of the CPS administration followed Janice Jackson out the door when she left as CEO. How do you plan to fill those jobs internally or externally? And will Dr. Maurice Sweeney stay on as the full-time chief education officer? So right now, Fran, because it's day two, I am just assessing. One of the things I'm very, very proud of is we have a lot of talent in the district, a lot of talent at all levels. Um, and I'm very impressed with Dr. Sweeney. So right now, I'm not, I'm not going to make any immediate decisions, but I'm assessing the talent. And what I'm really looking for, friend, is the skill set, the commitment to the district, making sure that they're in the right seat. Because uh, sometimes you have amazing people, but they're in the wrong seat. So in the next 30, at the most 60 days, I will make some key decisions on this. But I'll tell you, I've been very impressed by the talent I see across multiple levels, including other schools. And that gives me a lot of hope that I'm not going to have a lot of problems making sure that I have the right people in the right seats. You haven't said anything about Dr. Sweeney. No, I said I'm very impressed with Dr. Sweeney. So I'm assessing, you know, that role as well as all the other roles. And I'm hoping within the next 30 to 60 days, I'm going to make some final decisions. You were earning $315,000 in San Antonio, plus 20% more to a retirement account and another $8,400 for local travel and a cell phone. What are your salary benefits and bonuses and perks here? And how long is your contract? So what I can tell you, uh, friends, so that the contract will be public soon because the board is going to have to uh, approve it. Uh, at the end of October, but I can tell you, I didn't come here for the money. It really was because I'm committed to this city, to this to this district. Um, overall, with what I can share with you, it'll be comparable. Uh, you know, when you do, you know, when you add up everything, it'll be comparable to what I, to what I had in San Antonio. Um, and so, again, but for me, it was never about the money. And I did ask, friend, for the longest contract that's possible, that's, that, that could be possibly given. And so you'll see that when the contract comes out, because I am not here just for a short, uh, just for a short stint. I'm here for the long run. Uh, I, I share with the mayor that the only way I would take this position is if I could get the longest contract possible because the challenges that are here, they're going to take time. And we need stability at all leadership levels, including mine. Well, in all deference, sir, this is public record and nobody changes jobs for less money. 
Is it more than five years? And certainly it's more than the 315 you were getting in San Antonio. This is a much bigger city, a much bigger job. Yeah, so what I'll tell you, Fran, is that when you do the full math, it'll be comparable to San Antonio. In other words, when you add the salary and the, and the you know, the benefits of the retirement, it's, it's very comparable. Um, and again, Not an increase? Would you change jobs at a bigger, more responsible, bigger, uh, harder job for less money? Wouldn't you want to raise? <laughs> for me, Fran, it was never about the money to come. Again, my hope was just to at least be comparable. Um, but I'll tell you because, you know, Chicago is a more expensive city than San Antonio, but it, it is my city. It's my hometown. I love my city. And so for me, I mean, it was never about that. Uh, the, you know, when you see the term, it, it is, you know, it, I will tell you, it, it is about, about the five-year period, about, about, about a five-year term. And that's what I asked for as a minimum. So it's a five-year contract. On yes. the day she announced her resignation, Janice Jackson talked about the toxic relationship between CPS and City Hall and the Chicago Teachers Union, which has already struck once and almost struck again when it came to reopening the schools after the pandemic. How can you change that when you have acknowledged yourself that the political divide between City Hall and CTU runs so very deep and with a mayoral election fast approaching where the mayor herself has said she expects this union to field a candidate against her? Well, for me, Fran, this is, this is what, what I would say. Let's start first with, we all have to agree that every decision we make has to be in the best interest of our children. You just talked earlier about some of the complexities and the structural problems we have within our district. So we got to start there. So for example, making sure that we all agree children have to be in school, the best place for them to learn is in person. And yes, we can always debate about making sure that our safety procedures are the strongest possible. There's always ways to improve. That's frankly, that's always a conversation I welcome, but we have to agree the goal has to be for schools to be open, for children to be in person. And then beyond that, also making sure that we have a strong recovery uh, program for our children because many of our children did not do well while they were, while they were remote. So if we can start there, friend, then I can work with anybody. The challenge for me is when people don't wanna start there and there's other agendas, then frankly, you know, we're going to, we may have to agree to disagree, but as long as we start at that, and I, and this is what I believe, friend, the way I'm going to take care of my children, I'm going to support my teachers. I'm going to make sure that we support our parents and our other staff in the schools. As long as we all agree that that's where we start, hey, we can work out the details. But how do you turn down the temperature when the mayoral election is coming very fast? You know, for me, friend, you know, I'm going to focus on, on what I know best and what I do best, which is supporting schools. <laughs> That's going to be my focus. Um, and like I said, as long as people come with, with the values that I just shared earlier, I can work with anyone. You're pushing the White House for a federal vaccine mandate for students. Are you open to a local mandate for CPS students only if that doesn't happen? You know, I think that has to be at least considered. And, and I would not make that decision by myself, Fran, and it would have to be really with our medical professionals. I am a huge fan of Dr. Awadi. I trust her. So if she felt that that was the right way to go, I would support her. Um, but for me, I will say this. I don't think it should be done at the local level. It should be at the national level. This is a global pandemic. There should be bold action at the national level. We know, Fran, from history, from other times, the vaccines had to be, uh, you know, mandated. We even seatbelts had to be mandated at the federal level. That's when things happen. And I feel that when it's not done at the national level, it gets so political 
And that's not fair for school districts. It's not fair for local local cities. Right. But you said it has to be on the table if the feds don't do it. I, I really. And again, what I would say, friend, is it should always be on the table. But again, I would defer to the person that I trust the most right now is Dr. Awadi here in the city of Chicago, because again, the health professionals are the ones that have to lead these, these decisions. Why does it have to be on the table if the feds don't do it? Because one of the things we know, Fran, is that this right now has become the pandemic of the unvaccinated. That is who's dying right now. That is, that is frankly where we have the highest risk of transmission. And so for me, you know, that, that, that's, gonna, that's the only way we're going to manage through the pandemic is through the vaccines. And we know they're safe. My two 11-year-olds, I'm hoping, are going to be coming soon. Hopefully, you know, by end of October, early November, we're going to ramp up for that. But that's the only way out of this, of this pandemic is through vaccines. One of the unfortunate offshoots of remote learning and the economic hardships of the pandemic, in addition to isolation and mental health challenges among students, is that a lot of students have postponed college. In San Antonio, you partnered with the city to yes. reconnect with graduates to make sure they go to college. How do you plan to do that here? Well, you know, and that, that's a great question, Fred. And I want to look at, you know, an issue like what we did in San Antonio to see. And again, every city is different, but I would like to make sure that we don't lose touch with our graduates, especially from the class of 2020, because that's the class that people I feel I'm worried have forgotten. And those are the students that delayed college even more. I saw more success with the class of 2021. Class of 2020 is the one that worries me. So that's actually a conversation that I am going to be having with the community here and with our city about how, what kind of efforts can we look at to make sure we re-engage any student that frankly fell through the cracks in 2020. How do you do that though, sir? So uh, one way to start is because we have, you know, many times we know where those students are at and we still have some information, getting in touch with them, seeing what what they're doing right now, seeing if they did it for college is making, getting, helping them with the support so we connect them back into those colleges. So partnering with the community colleges, partnering with the local universities, making it an effort. So that is something, friend, that I do. I get it. Stay tuned. There's a lot of, there's a lot of items on my list, but that is one item that I am very concerned about, especially when I, when we saw success in San Antonio. But if they delayed college because of finances, which most people do, and the, the family had hardship during the pandemic or parents lost jobs, how do you, how do you help that kid and say, well, well, where do you get the money to go? Well, let, let's just say this, friend. There's a lot of wealth here in the city of Chicago. There's a lot of philanthropy. I think, you know, this is this would be one of my requests for philanthropy, as well as we know that uh, the community colleges are also a great, great first for some of our students that frankly just need a little bit more support, right, whether it's financial or academic. So, again, there's options that I think that we can explore. Special ed is an area where Janice Jackson fell woefully short. What do you plan to do to right those wrongs? First of all, just to understand and, and understand what is happening in special ed, friend, looking at what are the challenges around providing services to the children, whether it's the therapies and other services, and of course, looking at the academic programs. So similar to how we're going to approach uh, just the quality, you know, making sure that we have accessible, high quality programs for our children, special ed will be one of my priorities. You're the first permanent Hispanic CEO of a school system where more than half the student body is Hispanic. But you've said you plan to be aggressive in your outreach to the African-American community. What will you do for black students and parents who, by your own admission, have always felt like second or even third class citizens? I think number one, Fran, is, is first of all to 
to meet them where they're at and to have a conversation about their concerns and their worries. And what I'm going to share with them, friend, is judge me by my actions. Judge me by my actions. Hold me accountable to that. I am, I am very disappointed in the gaps that exist with our African-American students. And so, again, and it's, it's, it's the complexity of what you just talked about earlier, right? We have underutilized schools. They don't have the high-quality programming that they, those children deserve. We need to put in a, you know, a strong, long-term solution. But there's some tough decisions to make. And I owe it to that community to be honest, to be frank. And again, I do not want to repeat the mistakes of the past of just closing schools to close schools. That is not the way I work. I want, I want to talk about how do we provide your child high quality, accessible uh, programming, because that's how your child's going to be successful. And that might mean some hard decisions about, you know, what we do with some of our school buildings. Much has been written and said about you're not being an educator. Your background is in business. Is that a help or a hindrance? Does it free you in some ways to come in with a new perspective? So, Fran, you know, one of the things I would say, first of all, I'm always very humbled by the amazing work of our teachers. I just left Darwin Elementary School. It's an amazing school, and I got to observe so many of our teachers. So I'm always, I'm always amazed by the, the, the way they can engage students and the way they can motivate our students. But I'll say this, the last 12 years that I've been gone, all I've done is academics. I've been uh, the number two in, in two very large districts. I've been a superintendent for nine years. I've created new school models. I've, re- I've redesigned curriculum. So I will never claim to know, you know, everything or I'm always going to be learning, especially when it comes to academics. But I do feel that I have multiple skill sets and I'm always going to push the work in a very humble manner because, again, I am learning and these these issues are very complex. You've Um, said you'll explore. You, I'm sorry, sir. You've said you'll explore a remote learning options for Leary parents, but making no promises. What are the challenges to doing that? So I want to understand right now, first of all, I want to make sure we're listening to our parents, Frank, because again, they're anxious. And so we need to explore all options. But what I'm going to be doing right now is, you know, what is our capacity right now to expand remote programming? And I just want to make sure it's high quality. I do not want it to be virtual babysitting. That's not helpful to our students or parents. So I am, you know, I'm committing to, committing to making sure that I explore those options in the next several days, not weeks. Uh, and then uh, I want to just be frank about what we can offer and what the timing of that will be. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to run off uh, to a meeting, but thank you for having me on your show, ma'am. All right. I hope you will uh, lengthen the time next time, sir. And best of luck on this very, very formidable challenge. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. I count on, count on you, Tony. Joining me now is our chief education reporter, Nader Issa. Terrific reporter. Nader, you were listening in on what Pedro Martinez had to say. What struck you? I was, and and thanks, Fran, for having me. I think just overall listening to him speak, it is a bit different. His his approach to answering questions, his approach to giving information is a bit different um, than what we've seen with past CBS administrations. I, I think when he didn't know something, he acknowledged that and and there is actually funny at the last board meeting um, board members were, were sort of saying when we fail at something, when we don't know something, we need to acknowledge our shortcomings and not just celebrate successes. And so I think that was sort of a breath of fresh air. Now it's his third day on the job. And we've seen over the past decade of CPS CEOs that um, they might start well, but they don't always end well. And so we'll see where it goes. But I think a couple key takeaways from, from what he said, enrollment, is down again. Enrollment's down, he said, to about 327,000. That's about a 13,000, 14,000 drop 
It's similar to last year, uh, the, the first year that was affected by the pandemic. And it continues this trend of the past about eight years, just plummeting enrollment, 10,000 kids per year, which is tied to population loss in Chicago. And, um, and it's obviously having an effect on CPS. It, it sort of continues this vicious cycle of schools losing students, then losing funding because of how the, the schools, the formula, how the schools are funded which leads to more student loss and more funding loss. And so it's the, the cycle is just continuing. And the elephant in the room now is these not only half empty schools, but 70, 80, 90 percent empty schools that are not getting the resources, most of them in South and West Side communities. And his promise to confront the elephant in the room. He has said, we have to have these hard conversations. This is a drain on a system that can't afford it. And he's going to have those conversations. What struck you about what he had to say and what does he need to do? So obviously this is a very sensitive topic because of the 50 schools that were closed under Rahm Emanuel in, in 2013. And so people, anytime you, you talk about under-enrolled schools, you talk about school closures, people's ears perk up. And he was careful to say he doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. He, he isn't just here to close schools, but there, there are tough issues to confront. And so from, from what I can tell, he sort of is considering, he does want to look at, are there ways to consolidate schools? Are there ways to you know move kids into, into better resource and better um, better programmatic uh, opportunities at, at different schools. It just, it's, it's up in the air right now. He said he'll talk to communities. He'll, he'll do this and that. I think the number one thing he needs to do to not repeat mistakes of the past is talk to communities. You don't want another situation where school closures are being thrown on people and you're having hunger strikes for them to keep open a school. And you have to remember, even if the school is under-resourced, underfunded, these are the the sort of lifebloods of, of communities, right? Schools are more than just places where kids go to learn. They feed kids. They take care of kids. They are community centers, essentially, health centers. And so there's a lot of consideration that needs to be taken when it comes to this. And you have to convince the parents that their kids are getting shortchanged now and they'll get a better shake and a better education at a consolidated school that has more resources, more students, et cetera. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, the, the number one way to, to fix these problems, right, is more funding. According to the state's funding formula, by the state's own accounts, CPS is about 64 percent adequately funded. They, they, need, they need much more funding um, to, to be able to really fund these schools the way they need to be, offer the programs that need to be offered, and sort of draw that enrollment back in. And so funding, obviously, is, is the num- number one thing that the schools need, that CPS needs. But in the absence of that, right, you, you have to see what, what needs to be done. You have to see how to give kids a quality education. Um, CPS has money. Critics will argue CPS already has a lot of money and they spend it in wrong ways. They'll point to a police contract um, to have to have police in schools. They'll point to uh, different overhead costs that that aren't what people want to see instead of investments in schools. But at the end of the day, there is not enough money to adequately fund the entire district. Let's talk about his contract. He admitted under uh, 
intense questioning that he has a five-year contract that he insisted on because the challenges are so great and that the package is comparable to San Antonio, which will be about 380 some odd million uh, thousand dollars when it's all said and done. However, nobody changes jobs for less money. Everybody gets a raise, particularly with a bigger job, a bigger place. Yeah. And speaking of hard questioning, Fran, it's, I'm always in awe listening to you drag uh, answers out of people. And the, the truth is with CPS, with the city of Chicago, you can't trust anything that you hear until you see it on paper. And so, right. He, he's saying it's a five-year contract. He's saying about the same amount as San Antonio later this month. If, if the city is, is, is um, dragging its feet and, and won't budge, won't give us details about these public dollars that are being spent, we'll find out in a couple of weeks, no matter what, and, and see exactly where his salary lands. But yeah, for now, he's saying he's saying around three hundred eighty thousand. And um, I mean, it's a bigger it's a bigger job. Chicago is uh, a, a district that's seven times bigger than the one in San Antonio. But the the CEO salary has also skyrocketed. If it's around three hundred eighty thousand now, that's 120,000 more than Janice Jackson's salary this time last year. And so you, you, you have to just keep an eye on all these, these exploding salaries. He's also going to consider a local vaccine mandate for CPS students if the feds don't do it. What struck you there? Yeah, I think we've heard that before. Even, even the school board, there are school board members questioning why that hasn't been done. The city's stance essentially is it's on the it's on the the state to do this. They don't they don't think they can do it locally, um, and I guess we'll we'll see what happens. Mayor Lightfoot, we asked her about this last month, and she was sort of caught off guard. didn't didn't realize people are asking or uh, or thinking about a, a student vaccine mandate. She said it's premature to um, to put a mandate in place. And then about two days later, the Los Angeles School District voted to put a student vaccine mandate in place. Dr. Fauci has already come out in support. Medical experts across the country are in support. So it's just it remains to be seen. It doesn't have to be as soon. You don't have to wait until these younger kids are eligible. You can do it for 11 to 17 year olds. When the younger kids become eligible, give it some time, do another round of, of mandates. He's worried about the kids who are putting off college. He's going to reach out to those recent graduates. What struck you there? Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good issue to look at, obviously. And you mentioned some of the success he had with that in San Antonio um, and, and that outreach. Look, CPS is in kids' lives and families' lives, essentially from when the kids were born, right? Three years old, four years old, they might be starting pre-K, um, fifth, uh, five years old, six years old, they're going into kindergarten, their entire lives, all they know is CPS. And why can't the district try to help when they leave, especially if they didn't go to college, if they didn't go to trade school and they wanted to, right? Obviously there are different paths for everyone, but if someone planned to go to college or, uh, some type of post K-12 program and the pandemic changed their plans, that's not a bad idea to, to reach out to them, see how CPS can help. It doesn't always have to be these uh, expensive four-year universities. You can go to city colleges or a different community college, some cheaper programs that... Yeah, the Star Scholarship, too. Yeah, yeah and, and that's what he mentioned, too. He wants to see 
Chicago's business community, philanthropic philanthropic community step up and offer some scholarships if, if money is the reason that kids didn't end up in college. Andy finally plans to go to Simeon High School, where two students were gunned down on the very same day. The mayor's been silent about this. The board has been silent about this. But the new CEO is going to go there. To be honest with you, I've been a little shocked that nobody has said anything about this. The, the mayor hasn't hasn't said anything. The Board of Education meeting uh, last week, not a word about it. It's just it, it's surprising. There, there are obviously tragedies all the time. CPS is a big district. Chicago is a big city. There are tragedies all over. But for two kids on the same day at the same school to be killed, you would think someone would have addressed it. And so, yeah, he, he's saying he'll go visit um, and that he he also mentioned he called the family of another student who died uh, earlier this week. And so it's unfortunately something that the district is dealing with. Um, be it COVID and loss of loss of parent lives, teacher lives, or or students being being killed because of gun violence, it's it's an unfortunate reality, and um, he's going to have to address it. This is one of the big problems facing him as he and becomes. And he worked for Arnie Duncan, who used to do this all the time, and cried openly about all of these kids who he lost as CEO. Um, it, it's clear to me as we wrap up. Nader, that he will be the good cop to Lori Lightfoot's bad cop. He has a winning personality. He's uh, he seems to be very open. We shall see. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Now, I, I, I don't think it's very hard. We see how often this mayor is out in public um, sort of on the attack. So I don't think it'll be very hard for him to be the good cop. OK, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom about all things education, and we will see you all next week. Thank you.